a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Hello beautiful people and welcome back to another episode. We've got quite a few things to talk about in this episode. First of all, I want to talk about crazy rich Asians. Mixed race is a lot more than black and white, and I know that for a lot of people, it's the first time in a long time that they've had this kind of representation in the media. It's been 25 years since Hollywood's put out a movie with this many Asians on the same screen. And I think it's important that we lift these things up and get excited about them when we do have these things come out in Hollywood. So if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to see it this week because I'm terrible and I haven't seen it. I didn't go on opening weekend. I'm sorry. But if you haven't seen it, you should go see it this week. On that subject, I have something special coming up for you guys in the next two weeks. So keep an eye out for that surprise. Now, before I get into what I want to talk about for our main topic today, let me set the scene. I've been talking to a lot of people about their racial experience across the country and some in some different countries, and it occurred to me that a lot of what shapes our experience is the history and where we grew up. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Hot Springs, hometown of Bill Clinton. You're welcome. We made him. Hot Springs is a strange place. It's a beautiful place to live. It's a national park. There are a lot of attractions to it, but when you look deeper at it, there's a lot of history here, and in a lot of ways, the city hasn't healed from some of that history. I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans, but we have an area that's kind of similar to the Ninth Ward, but on a smaller scale. We are a very small city. I wouldn't call this a city. I personally would call it a town, but whatever. And in a lot of ways, it's like a time capsule. Our historic district used to be a very booming place. We had a lot of gambling. There are bathhouses downtown. A lot of wealthy people wanted to live closer to downtown. But things got a little shifted after desegregation. And a lot of people moved out of the downtown area. We have a lot of lakes, so people who had money moved further away from downtown and in the surrounding area. That leaves an area, like I said, like the Ninth Ward, where you have a lot of poverty-stricken people, and it's mostly Black and Hispanic. Some people think of segregation as a thing that happened a long time ago and doesn't affect us now, but I still have close family members who still remember experiencing these things. To put it into perspective, my dad was born in 1954, the same year as Brown versus Board that mandated desegregation in schools. But as a lot of you might know, and some of you might not know, the South really hung on to this a lot later. I'll be linking an article about the craziness surrounding the desegregation in this area in my blog post if you'd like to read more. So like I said, the older areas of the city still have these scars, and the city still has concentrated areas of diversity and more white areas. This was really reflected heavily in school when I was in school. It's changed a bit now, so it's uh, the diversity in the schools is a bit better. But I went to Hot Springs Middle School. When Bill Clinton went there, it was not desegregated. I'll be linking another article about his time in Arkansas and his time in Hot Springs in particular. That might help give you an idea of what it was like when he was running for president and people started looking into his background. 
Both of my parents went to Hot Springs post-segregation, but my dad's older siblings couldn't. They went to a black school nearby that I believe has been absorbed into the Hot Springs school district. So this really wasn't a long time ago, and people remember, you can't get rid of these prejudices and ideas in a generation. Granted, my family is very old. My dad, like I said, was born in 1954, and I'm the oldest, so not everyone has the same lack of distance between them and someone who remembers segregation, but it really hasn't been that long. So I went to Hot Springs Middle School, and you know that person in that one movie and popular book series? I'm sure you've never heard of her. You know, the nerdy bookworm with an intense need to show everyone she was capable and could succeed? What was her name? Oh yeah, Hermione Granger. Yeah, I was that kid. And it went just about the same way for me as it did for her before the whole troll thing. Add my mixed raceness into that and it was just an absolute mess. I felt rejected by my white peers and I had my black peers on the other side saying that I wanted to be white and that I wasn't fitting in. I didn't know how to fit in. At that time, I didn't really understand the nuances of being mixed race. The way that people inside my own community view mixed race, it was just a recipe for some hard knocks. My parents moved all of us to what we called at the time the rich white school. It's where all the doctors, kids, and lawyers' kids went. It's terrible, but that's what we called it. Like I said, you can't get rid of these prejudices and ideas in a generation. And even when I went to this majority white school, that rejection from my own community that I'd felt from some of my cousins, from some of my classmates, I carried with me. And I carried that into college. I expected the same thing. To this day, I regret not joining the Black Student Union then, but I ended up getting really involved in the Asian student organization and Muslim student organizations. They were two populations that were not well represented in Hot Springs when I was growing up. Like I said, it's gotten a little more diverse in Hot Springs, but not too much. I was more comfortable being an accepted outsider in those groups rather than face rejection again in my own community like I thought I would. At that time, I joined a dance crew that was majority Vietnamese. We would perform at different holidays and venues around New Orleans in the area, and I was exposed to a lot of Asian culture. It was something that I really had been lacking in my own life. I'm someone who really values traditions and having keepsakes and things like that from your family. And I was raised almost without a culture. When I became almost like an accepted outsider in the Vietnamese community and also in the Taiwanese community that's in New Orleans, I kind of latched on to that. They had traditions that I got to be a part of. I made myself very at home in the Asian community and was able to ignore the hurt and rejection I felt in the black community growing up. I didn't really have to deal with that until I moved back to Hot Springs as an adult. For the last few years, I've been on this journey of reconnecting to my family and my identity, reclaiming my racial identity and finding out what that means for me. It's been a very interesting process in hearing the history of my family in Hot Springs and my family that is Cherokee and they travel and they dance in powwows and stuff like that. That's been really eye-opening and allowed me to have the culture that I was yearning for growing up and thought that I wouldn't be able to be included in. As someone who is mixed race and has encountered a lot of other mixed race people throughout the years, and especially recently, I know I'm not the only person who felt ostracized by their own culture, by their own community, whether it's one or both. 
Some of us were lucky enough to grow up in strong communities, but there are a lot of mixed people like me who don't feel like they have a solid community to belong to. I just want to speak to those people right now if you're listening, if you're young, or no matter what your age is, if you don't feel like you fit into a community, I encourage you to open up past maybe some of that pain you've had and look into your own culture Find a place within that culture because you do have a place. If you're mixed with black, you have a place in the black community. If you're mixed with white, you have a place in the white community too. My cousins are in the Cherokee community and very active. And as far as they're concerned, I have a place in the Cherokee community as well. A lot of what made me feel like I didn't belong was taking some of the words that a few people said, taking some of the hurts, the generational hurts that have been passed down, the prejudices, the history of where I lived and contextualizing it for myself and creating a world that I didn't belong in, in my head. But it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that I can make a place, that I can claim my place in those communities. Yes, there's always going to be people who say stupid things. There's always going to be people who don't think you belong. But at the end of the day, these are your cultures that you come from and you do belong to them. Those traditions do belong to you and you have the same right as everyone else in that community to be in that space. no longer National Minority Health Month. We're now in August, almost into September, but I still want to talk about mental health. Minorities still are less likely to seek out any kind of mental health support in their lifetimes, and I think it's an important topic. So I had an idea. First of all, I would like to blame literally everyone in my life for not warning me how scary Reddit is. The past week, I've seen some scary things. All I wanted to do was see what people thought about mental health and some of the misconceptions that are out there because I want to see why people aren't seeking mental health care beyond the reasons I already know. Listen, I've had to Google what an incel is and if you don't know what it is, ignorance is bliss, believe me. Don't get me wrong, I followed the whole Elliot Rogers shooting and watched his YouTube videos, which I don't recommend again by the way, but somehow I missed this. I won't get into all that because this would turn into a true crime podcast. Long story short, the internet is scary and I'm scarred. That being said, we're going to look at something someone said about mental health care and why they don't seek it. This is going to be a reoccurring thing every so often, so we're going to start with something rather lighthearted because it can get very dark very quickly. I didn't know people thought this way about mental health and psychologists, psychiatrists, but apparently this is a very popular belief. This person is just on the extreme of that. So this Reddit user, and I'm not going to call anybody out here, posted on a mental health forum encouraging people, posted that because a psychologist and a psychiatrist accept money for their services, that service is invalid and ingenuine. It sounds thought-provoking at first. It might be more thought-provoking than I realize. However, we really, really dug into this idea that you shouldn't see a psychologist or a therapist for mental health because you're paying them. That they don't actually care about you. They can't care about you if money is involved. People questioned him and said, would you not go to a doctor because you have to pay a doctor? And you'd expect this person maybe to back down from their position. But kudos to them for sticking to their beliefs. 
They said that they don't trust doctors who accept money, that you shouldn't trust anyone who accepts money for their services, that the sole reason for not going to receive mental health care was because they accept money, and that they would prefer a homeless, starving therapist to talk to them about their problems rather than pay them. I don't know how many people would be able to sympathize with this, but I can say with 99% certainty that most of the therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists who are out there are there to help people. Yes, they do receive money for their services, but when you go to see someone, you are paying for basically the use of their education. While it would be nice to have someone volunteer their services, and some people do volunteer their services from time to time in different communities, people need to eat. The internet is a very strange place, and there are a lot more misconceptions on mental health care that I could talk about, but I just wanted to open with that one because it really just had me rolling for about 15 minutes. At first, I wrote it off, and the more I read, I kind of got a little agitated, and I know people in the mental health field. I have friends in the mental health field as well, and I think that would break their heart if they saw that because they're in that field for a reason. They are in that field to help people. And the fact that money is involved corrupts that for some people would make them very sad. I just want to get the point across that 99% of the people in this field are in the field because they care about people. They are interested in people. They want to help people find out why they are struggling and improve their lives. If you see anything like this on Reddit or anywhere else, I would just like to encourage you that this is not a problem. It is a very interesting thing to think about, a society where people don't expect compensation for their time or their education or their services. But at the end of the day, if this is something that keeps you from seeking mental health support when you need it, I would encourage you to look at it a different way. If you need mental health support, there are loads of resources, free and paid. I encourage you to take every avenue to make yourself as healthy as possible. There should be less stigma around mental health care, and this argument does not help people get the support that they need. Thank you for listening to this episode of Some Kind of Brown. This podcast is now available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and soon, fingers crossed, iTunes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, like. It would mean the world to me. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Some Kind of Brown. And as always, there will be a blog post about everything we've talked about with links and information on my blog, somekindofbrown.com. Like I said in the beginning, we have something special coming up in the next two weeks, so look forward to that. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song, Love Life. For now, I'll see you next Monday with some more Shades of Brown.